Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again, welcome back. Or maybe you're new. We are at the start of a new course. Uh, this is the first episode in the Roman epic series. We finished the Greek epics, so now we'll read the Roman ones. There are more of them, but they don't have as many books. Um, I haven't done the math, so I'm not sure how many weeks it will take us to get through all of them. Um, I don't think it will be as tidy as the year it took to go through the three Greek epics, but there you have it. Anyway, oh, I should tell you that I do have to shovel today. Um, hopefully by the time this drops, the snow will have melted. But uh, since I've been starting every episode of late by mentioning the snow, it kind of seemed wrong for me not to mention it today. Okay, on to the matter at hand. We will start Roman epics with one Titus Lucretius Carus, or just plain Lucretius. We don't know much about Lucretius, um, but unlike Homer, we do know that he really did exist. Cicero mentions him in a letter written in 54 BCE, um, we know that he wrote poetry, including his epic philosophical work, De Rerum Natura, which we will cover over the next six weeks. So he lived in the mid-first century BCE, which places him in the last decades of the Roman Republic. Now, we haven't really gone over Roman history, so here's the rough version. There was a tyrannical king. The Romans held a general strike, literally they sat down and refused to work, and they overthrew the king and created a republic. That republic lasted for a few centuries, gradually devolving as increasingly smaller groups of men took power until a certain Julius Caesar was named dictator for life, and his adopted son Augustus declared himself first citizen and the Republic became an empire. Um, Augustus didn't call himself emperor, he was simply the first citizen, which we call emperor, emperor now, because looking back, we know he really was an emperor. Anyway, that's the really, really rough, very short version. Obviously, it is significantly more <laughs> complicated than that, and multiple tomes have been written about it. Uh, just about, well, let's see, how long is the rise and fall of the Roman Empire? Uh, yeah, anyway, it, it, and that's just the empire. Forget, forget the Republic. There were two distinct periods. There was the Roman Republic and then the Roman Empire. Um, and this is the Roman Republic that we're in. Augustus was emperor when the BCE dates became the CE dates. Uh, so the mid-first century BCE is the tail end of the Roman Republic, meaning it was a time of great upheaval, violence, and civil war. It was, it, it, they lived in interesting times. <laughs> De rerum natura, or on the nature of things, or on the nature of the universe, depending on your translation, is Lucretius's explanation of Epicurean philosophy. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher who lived in the 300s BCE. You probably, if you're like me, think of him in relation to food because, it, it, you know, there's just a lot of, oh, it's very Epicurean to be a gourmand or, it, it, but it, 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 Epicurean philosophy is about much more than that. Um, and we're actually going to see that a lot of it is, is pretty on target with what we know of physics today. 
Um, I will be working primarily from the H.A.J. Monroe translation from 1864. I do recommend the ebook that I found it in. It's free. Free is always good. It's by Cassius Amicus. So um, this book includes the full Monroe translation, but it also includes an abbreviated translation and commentary by Amicus. So I'll be reading the Monroe and then using the Amicus translation and commentary along with a few other sources when I write the episodes about this epic. Um, so with that as background, we'll take a short break before going over book one of De Rerum Natura. The epic begins by invoking Venus, which is very Roman. She's the mother of Aeneas, who is the mythic founder of Rome. So she's the mother of Rome. And as the goddess of love, she is the source of life. So everything comes from Venus. So she's the obvious goddess to inspire an epic about, well, all the things. <laughs> Lucretius then, play, then lays out the purpose of this epic. He's going to explain the universe, the gods, the elements, what things are and where they come from. But first, he needs to talk about Epicurus, the greatest of philosophers, if you're an Epicurean, um, which, of course, Lucretius is. <laughs> Once upon a time, humans were sad. They were crushed by religion. Uh, but one brave Greek stood up to those horrors. He wasn't afraid of the gods, and that man was Epicurus. And by using a number of myths as proof, this is a good thing because religion can make good men do bad things, like sacrifice their daughters to make the winds blow. And if you can understand the nature of things as taught by Epicurus, you can escape the bonds of religion too. Here's how things work. Nothing comes from nothing. I really want to burst into song. Um, Sound of Music, nothing comes from nothing. Yeah, it, it, it was really hard not to sing repeatedly as I was writing this episode. Nothing comes from nothing, and it's quite obvious if you think about it. If something could arise from nothing, there would be no need for seeds. Um, or an apple tree could spontaneously start bearing pears. But since all living things require some sort of seed to be born, clearly nothing comes from nothing. And just as nothing comes from nothing, nothing is ever totally annihilated. Things are broken down to their elements, but no further. These imperishable elements cannot be destroyed. So to use a later phrasing, uh, matter can be neither created nor destroyed. These immortal elements can be combined and broken apart, but the matter remains. So nature consists of two parts, material bodies and the void in which material bodies exist. All you have to do is look to know that this is true. Just use your senses. Now, there are other philosophers who, they, they just didn't know what they were talking about. And Lucretius is only too happy to tell you why. First, there was Heraclitus, and he thought that everything arose from fire because, I, I mean, and that's just, that's just dumb because if, if everything came from fire, then where would ice come from? 
Like I said, Lucretius is only too happy to tell you what he thinks of these other philosophers. Uh, Second, we have Empedocles, who thinks that there are four distinct elements and no more, when clearly there have to be more than that. And third, Anaxagoras, and he thinks that things are only made up of smaller bits of themselves. So, you know, a bone is made up of smaller and smaller and smaller bones, which uh, honestly, it makes like a great fractal if you think about things, um, but but that doesn't that doesn't have elements that then can be used to create all things. And and well, obviously, Epicurus teaches us that that's the case that that there are these you know elements that that come together to create things. So um, so clearly, that's just wrong. Not to mention the fact Anaxagoras doesn't believe in the void that the things live in. So Anaxagoras is just wrong. Um, None of these philosophers know what they're talking about. Their views are far too simple. But we know better now, thanks to Epicurus. In summary, nothing comes from nothing. Matter can be neither created nor destroyed. And there are things, and there's the void. And having explained all of this, Lucretius ends book one. something to note about Lucretius, um, and that's that he writes beautiful poetry. Dense, but lovely. Um, honestly, it makes pretty good bedtime reading because you can just easily just let the words flow over you without bothering to take in anything that he says. Um, and, and he does say that he'd rather let his poetry get in the way of making anything he writes be comprehensible. You can tell that he's the sort of person who just likes the way words feel in their mouth. Um, So better to have a line that feels good than to make sure your audience understands anything that you've written. But we are here to try to understand, so try to understand we will. Uh, The first thing that is a little odd is that he begins with this famous invocation of Venus. Um, And then he denounces religion. So, yeah, there's there's that. Um, it, it, it's it's interesting. It's not like he he doesn't necessarily denounce faith, but he he definitely ha- takes issue with organized religion, um, at least as it it was being practiced. In that, oh, if the gods want you to do a thing, then you'd better do it because you need to be afraid of the gods because they might smite you and. So it's not that he doesn't necessarily believe that the gods don't exist or that it's not a, an issue of belief or disbelief. It's an issue of how how they are treated and that he doesn't think he should be afraid of them is what it boils down to, in part because they are no different than us, um, that they are, you know, also made up of elements um, and and. Yeah, he's he's interesting. Um, anyway, so so it, it it's in, but it is interesting that he starts by invoking Venus and talking about how all things come from her, and then and then turns right around and says, "Religion, this is really you don't need to believe in all that religion stuff. This is what you need to believe in." Um, but really, the big thing to note is that 
His physics are remarkably on point for being totally based on philosophy. Matter can neither be created nor destroyed. I seem to recall learning that when I took physics in high school. Um, And it's not like Epicurus or Lucretius were doing experiments. They just thought about it and decided that it makes sense. I'm I'm impressed. (laughs) Honestly, I'm, I'm impressed that you thought about it and said, oh yeah, no, no, that makes sense that that what happens with decay is not um, things disappearing. It's just things breaking down. Um, and that those broken down parts can then be put back together to make something new. Um, honestly, I'm not sure I have a lot to say about this. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes as we go through the next five books. Um, like I said, it, it is, it's, it is dense. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's pretty dense. It's pretty and it's dense. Um, and I didn't study it in college. So I'm coming to this with new eyes just like you. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I don't, but I don't think there's much else that I can say right now about book one. Although um, if you want to discuss it, I'm sure that can that can help all of us. So what do you think about Dererum Natura so far? Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. I'm on Patreon as Triumvirclio, and that URL is in the show notes too. On Monday, we will read Plautus's Mercator. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.